it was just in our face. Yeah. So poverty would walk down the street. Poverty would throw rocks at my my window. Yeah. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Living Scent Podcast. It is good to be with you once again. You know, if it's your first time joining us, I wanted to say welcome. My name is Justin Wester, and I release a new episode on the first Wednesday of each month to help you live like an everyday missionary within your household, your neighborhood, your workplace, and your city. And I am so excited for you to hear from one of my good friends, Nathan Pugh, today on the podcast. He's really doing some amazing stuff in our city of Tallahassee, Florida, and he has seen firsthand how leveraging food, just like Jesus did in the Gospels, can make an eternal difference in people's lives. But before we get there, I just wanted to remind the community today that today's show notes are available right now for free on my website. Just head over to justinwester.com, navigate to the podcast tab, and you can check them out there. The show notes There really are a continuation of today's episode. So you're going to get even more questions. You're going to pick up links to the things that we may have referenced during our conversation. And you're going to get the entire transcript for you to reference back to all right there for free, however you would like to use it. Finally, before we get into our conversation, I wanted to give you a request and I also wanted to give you a confession. So first, the confession. You know, I've never rated and reviewed a podcast in my entire life until this week. You know, I have a few podcasts that I frequently listen to. And like this podcast, you know, almost any time I listen to it, they encourage me to rate and review the content. And just to be completely honest, I've never done it until this week. And the reason why this is a confession is because I was getting ready to ask you, this podcast community, to do the same thing, and I felt a little guilty asking you to do something that I've never done. So I apologize for doing that in the past. This week, though, I did go to one of my favorite podcasts. I clicked the five-star button, wrote a quick and honest review, and it only took just a few minutes out of my day, and it was actually really, really fun. So I hope that the creators get it, read it, and keep up the great work. Now for the request. If you've never, ever rated and reviewed this podcast, I'd challenge you to do it. Uh, You know, your honest feedback is a gift. I say that every single month. And your feedback not only helps to improve the quality of this podcast, but also it extends its reach. So a huge thank you to you in advance. Now, without further ado, here's my interview with my good friend, Nathan Pugh. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Nathan. This is actually round two. Uh, Round one (laughs) ended in a crash to the system, so we're praying that it does not happen again. But I am I'm so thrilled that we're finally sitting down together. We've been talking about it for a while. I'm excited for people to hear about your story, where what you're doing now with Little Sunshine Pantries. And it is right here in our hometown of Tallahassee, Florida. And so I said this before, but I'll say it again. I, I think what you're doing uh, it directly applies to what it means to live scent. And so uh, I know our, our listeners are going to be encouraged by what you shared today. So before we actually get there, I'm going to tell a quick story. Um, I've, I've known Nathan since about middle school. I believe our sisters introduced us. And yeah. I remember Nathan two ways. One way is that he was an awesome punk rock musician in middle school. 
I believe your your band was the goon. Uh, no, not the Goonies. The Snow the Goons. The Snow Goons. Actually, the original name was the Deranged Mutant Killer Monster Snow Goons. Oh, but so Snow good. Goons definitely the shorthand. <laughs> the Snow <laughs> And then the second way is a skateboarder. Nathan would always shred. Um, and <laughs> we he invited me to go with one of his buddies named Luke to Jacksonville, Florida, one time and. They said I didn't look enough like a skateboarder, so they actually outfitted me with a Goonies t-shirt, and Luke used to make these tube sock bracelets, and so he would cut the top two colors off, and he'd wear them on his wrists, and so they outfitted me, and I was ready to go. It was awesome. (laughs) Um, But uh, before we get to some of the the heart of what I'd like to to talk with you about, um, I want to go back and have you just share... Maybe what you think are some of the milestone moments of your life, kind of what, where, uh, or what things brought you to where you are today, what things made you into the kind of person that you are today. Yeah. So um, I'd say the first biggest milestone was meeting my wife and getting married. <laughs> um, That's pretty big. And then um, having children was by far the next biggest milestone. We have four, and I'd argue each one of those kids is its own milestone. Um, and then from, from there, I think like a lot of people, um, COVID-19 was a bit of a milestone, um, in my life and a lot of things changed right around then as well, uh, leading up to today. So Nathan and I actually grew up in the same neighborhood as well. He was just a few blocks away from my mom. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I didn't know this actually growing up, uh, kind of found out later, but I mean, you grew up going and attending church regularly. Mm-hmm. What was that like? Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your, your church background? Yeah, so I grew up going to a Lutheran church called Grace Lutheran Church. It's still up and running here in Tallahassee. And that was the bulk of my childhood experience. Um, you know, I'm so sorry. I got to take this. Go for it. So that buzzing sound you heard was actually Nathan getting a phone call from his wife about something very important, which he will explain a little later in the podcast. But for now, we're going to pick up where we left off and jump right back in. Well, you were kind of in the middle of telling us a little bit about your your church background, church upbringing. Uh, You were at a Lutheran church in town. Yeah, yeah. So I had a, you know, delightful childhood at the... um, Lutheran Church, uh, eventually got into the evangelical church in town in my teenage years. Um, And honestly, in college, I walked away from church for a couple years and put that to the side Um, when I met my wife, Ashley. um, She was attending a non-denominational church, um, and then I kind of picked back up there. And we were there for, gosh, I think close to 10 years. And, you know, that was all leading up to, and I was on the board of that church, uh, for the last couple years there, um, all the way, you know, during COVID and all the racial unrest that was going on. And it was in that moment, um, that my, uh, lens or perspective and understanding of church and, you know, what that means, uh, you know, I started to question that. And those questions really were a matter of, you know, are we loving our neighbors or are we just loving ourselves? Um, Which also begs the question, who is my neighbor? Um, And so in that sense, I realized I personally and my family, (laughs) um, you know, 
by association, were participating in the American Dream. Um, we had a two-story home. It was huge. Uh, it was on the north side of town, on a you know private road at the end of a cul-de-sac, um, and we had all that good stuff. Um, but I was working like sixty to eighty hours a week to maintain this material life, um, and with those questions, you know, COVID forced me to stop working. Uh, for enough time that I felt I genuinely had time to like contemplate um, in a spiritual way. Um, and then, you know, to kind of tidy up this story, we ended up deciding to sell that property and a bunch of our stuff. Um, and we didn't really know where we were going to land or go, but we knew we wanted to reprioritize our focus. Um, and it wasn't that we wanted a bigger house and, you know, a nicer piece of property or something. We just knew we wanted to be able to have more opportunity to serve um, our community. And long story short, you know, that ended up landing us in a 900 square foot house at the edge of Frenchtown um, with all six (laughs) of us. So that's kind of where we're at today, still living. Yeah. So as you're, as you're kind of hitting the pause button and, you are, like you said, contemplating some of these thoughts, some of these questions, wrestling. Uh, what, what is Ashley thinking? Like, is she like, Nathan has lost his mind? Or is she like right there with you saying, I- I'm tracking, I see it as well? Um, <laughs> so, like, what was that conversation like? Yeah, and rightfully so, um, for all the husbands out there, definitely give your your wife, the, um, attention, um, she deserves. So out of Ashley's wisdom, she had actually been kind of picking at this for years. Um, whereas I would get really defensive and be like, I'm working my butt off to have all this, you know, and kind of would sit in the back and look at it and be like, what, how are we, how do we have any complaints? Um, and so I was very defensive of these things that I was using as measuring sticks Um, I think Ashley came to these sort of questions and realizations quicker than me. Um, But once I got there, too, yeah, we were both on board together to really change it up. So did you did you decide to intentionally downsize? Was that a thought process as well? Like we're going to intentionally go less space. We're going to intentionally go to this part of town. Um, The less space for sure. Um, We intentionally wanted less the side of town, no. Um, that's kind of like some divine intervention, I would argue. But we were, you know, the market was whatever the market was at that time. And we just kind of were grabbing what we could get. Mm-hmm. And we were living with our in-laws. God bless them for letting us stay for, I think it was quite a while. Um, but we were also eager to just land somewhere. Um, and so that's that's how that happened. There was not a lot of premeditated decisions during this kind of, uh, I guess you could say transition period. Yeah. So after you guys decide to do that, at what point did, did little sunshine pantries come into play? I'd love to, to get into that and, and let the listeners hear how that kind of idea actually became what it is today. So like, where, where was that in the lineup? Yeah. So with this kind of um, new worldview, which was more focused on the neighbor rather than self. Um, 
we started studying uh, and researching a lot more about poverty. We started attending some community meetings and like city hosted meetings. Um, and that's where we first learned about some of the food insecurity rates, which were jaw dropping at the time and unfortunately still are. Um, that period, you know, probably lasted about a year. Um, and while we were living there, we were renovating the house and trying to get a few things on our end put together. But that's when, due to our geographic proximity to poverty, um, people would wave us down, you know, like we'd be on our way back from church and somebody would wave us down. Um, I even, <laughs> there was one time we were all eating dinner in the dining room and we heard this weird tap sound on the window and I look over and somebody was, we have like a gravel parking spot and somebody was throwing little pebbles at the window to get my attention. Um, and it turns out, you know, it's somebody offering to wash a vehicle or something. But long story short, um, they were just hungry. Um, and so it's a simple trip down to Publix to get a box of chicken or something. And, you know, as this was all going on, it, it came to mind that food, you know, was the most common request, whether people want to believe that or not. Um, and with that Ashley and I started brainstorming, like, well, how can we better serve and meet that need? And that's when we kind of, we have a few, like, little libraries, if you guys are familiar with those, around our neighborhood in Levy Park. Um, and that's where we thought up, you know, well, what if we had one of these, but we put food in it? And part of it's, um, you know, I'm at work. Ashley has, you know, the kids are going here. You're like, we're not always home, but we want to still be able to, like, provide, even if we're not presently home. And so I actually had built um, the first pantry that's still out in the, the front of our house. And it sat on my porch for, I don't know, a really uncomfortable and shameful <laughs> amount of time, probably months. Yeah. And that really was another learning process of how much fear plays a role in the, well, not the decisions, but the lack thereof mm. that we decide to make when trying to serve other people. And it was the fear of what is my neighbor directly across from me going to think? What's the neighborhood going to think? Um, is this legal? Um, what, is it going to get vandalized? Am I going to have people I don't want coming you know, near my house? Um, but like almost all cases of fear, it was irrational. Um, and it was only holding us back um, and delaying our ability to serve. So when you moved to where you guys are living now, did you know that food insecurity was like a real need no. during that time? So so you got there and kind of discovered this in a sense. Yeah, so this is, you know, like it was just in our face. Yeah. So poverty would walk down the street. Poverty would throw rocks at my, my window. Yeah. Um, and so part of it was, you know, back to that childhood experience in my church growth, none of these topics um, were presented um, as a reality. And, you know, I came from a middle to upper middle class and that was kind of my trajectory for my life. Um, and certainly when I had the big house on the North side of town and it was a private lot, you know, I was, my proximity to poverty was so far away that it's, it's just not even on your mind. Mm -hmm. Um, and so once we interacted with these individuals, then we were like, I need to know more about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we started doing the research and stuff um, and then committed to putting up the first pantry. So if somebody's listening and they've maybe never heard that, that phrase before, food insecurity, can you help them understand kind of what, what does that mean 
Yeah, so the difference between food insecurity and security, um, we need to think of it not so much as, like, we all get hungry, right? But then we go and get a meal and we're full. So that's food security. Because in our mind or in our, you know, relationship with our family or parents or the financial security we have, we know that we're going to get food and we know where we're going to get it. We probably have a shopping center or a Publix or a Walmart that we go to regularly or they deliver it to you. Food insecurity is more about um, not knowing where you're going to get your next meal, but it's also about having access to that meal. So like I have a car, I can just go drive somewhere and get food. If you don't, that changes it. Um, it's also about access to quality or we'll say healthy foods as well as affordable foods. Mm -hmm. So there's also, um, a concept called food deserts. And so where there's, you know, high poverty rates, individuals that don't have cars or transportation, the closest thing they have, or that they're typically can go get for a meal is going to be like, um, you know, like a gas station or a sing store. And so you're just consuming unhealthy junk food at the prices you can afford rather than getting some healthy, nutritious meal somewhere. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you, when you got there, you saw this need, uh, you guys decided that you wanted to meet this need. And so you started building these pantries, these pantries and you post one up. Uh, the first one you posted, was that directly on your property? Yes. So it's what, right next to the mailbox. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so what what did you see initially? Like, did, did anything just surprise you, or? Yeah. So good. You know, good things take time. Um, so in regards to my initial like hope was like, all the neighbors in the neighborhood are gonna love it, and they're <laughs> gonna help stock it, and they're gonna want one, and we're all gonna have pantries, and we're all gonna like you know feed our neighbors. Yes. That has yet to occur, <laughs> but I have had a lot of neighbors start to participate yeah. um, in bringing their food and other toiletries and stuff. But the biggest thing that surprised me was, you know, even today, we've got like 18 plus pantries. Once you fill a pantry, it'll be empty in, I don't know, two hours. Wow. And so the demand for food um, is what blew us away. And then, you know, the volume and it's Tallahassee. So everything spreads by word of mouth. So, you know, you've got a couple individuals that you've seen throughout a week. And then next week there's new people you haven't seen or people come in groups or a young child will come and he wants to fill up a bag to go, you know, bring to his family. Yeah. And so I think it was just kind of, you know, shocking. Um, the need for food and just the desire that people are like, well, I'm going to go walk up here and check on this pantry to see if I can get something. Hmm. Wow. So what have been some of your, I guess, maybe like favorite stories or, or favorite ways that these pantries have met direct needs? Cause Nathan uh, and Little Sunshine Pantries has a Facebook page and I'll go on there frequently and just kind of browse what you guys are posting it seems like you're kind of always capturing these stories mm -hmm. and letting people see that, like, if they do contribute, uh, it, it is going to meet a direct need. What, is there anything that sticks out to you or like a favorite story or memory that you have from that? Oh, my gosh, there's so many stories. Um, the first thing that, you know, and we're still learning as we go, but, you know, one thing we all need to realize <laughs> is when there's food insecurity, 
the underlying issue is just poverty. Um, and so everything goes beyond food in our mind. Food's really like a communal relationship building tool. Mm. And so some of our stories, like a, we'll talk about success stories <laughs> first. Um, so we met a, a homeless veteran. He was living on a porch of a dilapidated house. Um, and he would frequent the pantry and some of the other people he was around would frequent the pantry. So we were able to meet him, um, and help him at a time, you know, through our following, we were able to get him a bike. Obviously we were able to get him food. Um, and occasionally through some friends we have with another organization called neighborly, we were able to get him, you know, a nicer place to stay other than a porch, um, on the rare occasion. Um, and he used to be a, a trucker. And he still has a CDL license. Um, but one day he decided to go do some trucking um, under the job, and he ended up getting arrested. Um, but when he got out and came back, the first place he came was to us, you know. Um, and then he humbly requested that we get him to the shelter. He just, I think this was in the winter, and as we all know, Tallahassee winters get brutal. Um, and I can't imagine sleeping outside on a porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was he was ready. Um, and the Kearney Center, thankfully, because of his veteran status, was able to kind of assist him in getting much of what he's been entitled to. And from there, we were able to get him located at the Veterans Village off Lake Bradford. And, you know, I talked to him maybe two weeks ago, and he's been approved for his housing voucher. And so that's where he can find like a, a rental. And if the landlord's agreeable, he'll be able like he'll be in a house in the near future. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so cool. And so it's just, it's something I never would have predicted, but certainly, you know, that's how we like to use the pantries is to build relationships. Like it's not like one and done, you fill the box, you run away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we like to talk to people and say, Hey, what's your name? What are you looking for? Is there anything else you're trying to do? And so we've helped people get social security cards. You know, right now we're working with someone that was, a victim of human trafficking, trying to get them in a safe place to stay. Like as we're talking and recording this, mm-hmm. my wife's uh, coordinating a hotel stay for this uh, this woman, and the stories abound. That's cool. Yeah, for those of you who don't know this, and that is all of you, uh, because you wouldn't know this, Nathan literally got a phone call a few <laughs> minutes ago from Ashley, and they're working on that. So that's that's too cool. Uh, well, I want to just share what the. I think the the mission statement of Little Sunshine Pantries is this is off your website. You say bringing joy through unconditional generosity. Mm -hmm. And then there's a second statement underneath it. And it says working to normalize giving from abundance. And so I kind of wanted to take both of those at uh, or separately and help listeners kind of understand what you're getting at by each of those statements. So bring I'll say them again, bringing joy through unconditional generosity and the second one is working to normalize giving from abundance. Yeah. So bringing joy through unconditional generosity. Um, we believe that giving with an expectation of reciprocation, repayment, conformity, or even gratitude is not unconditional. Bear with me. <laughs> I believe um, that's actually disingenuous and a bit manipulative and I would consider a false form of generosity. So unconditional, unconditional generosity is an act 
of stepping outside the boundaries of your own self-interests. And when you do this, um, you'll see the needs of someone else as part of your own. And I've seen this produce joy. And I realize, you know, that sounds ridiculous to some, but I would argue that's due to our enculturation, which I was experiencing while chasing the American dream. So enculturations like when we learn the content of culture and we begin to assimilate its practices and values, and some of those might be individualism, consumerism, boasting, competition, uh, hoarding, materialism, and so on. Um, and we're kind of taught that these are going to bring us joy. And I would ask, you know, how's that going? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes. uh, and so Jesus in Luke 14 says, when you host an elaborate meal, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then you will be blessed because, notice, they cannot repay you. Mm. That's unconditional generosity. Mm. So normalizing the act from giving from abundance, the first note I want to make on that is that America wastes approximately 40% of food from the farm to consumer. Just, you can Google it. It's all over the place. So it's not an issue of whether there's enough food. It's a distribution problem. Hmm. And there's two dominant worldviews that I would argue. There's one of scarcity and there's one of abundance. So scarcity is the idea that if someone else has something, there's going to be less of that thing for you. Like I've talked about earlier, this grows from fear. Um, Abundance is a belief that there is enough of that resource for you. And if someone else has this, um, there'll still be enough. And this grows from contentment. And so what we're trying to do is we want to reimagine abundance in all sorts of things, in food, money, clothing, housing, transportation, compassion, knowledge, and so on. Um, an, an example could be as simple as you have a spare bedroom, so you're going to offer it up to someone in need. Um, we all like buying BOGO items. Do you need the free item? That would be an abundance. So you can redistribute that. Um, paying off the bill of someone struggling financially because you have the finances to do it. Um, and it can also be more complex, right? So we're um, currently working towards trying to create a grocery store model in which we can distribute food freely but give people the dignity to kind of pick and choose uh, the items they actually want rather than a lot of distributions are like one size fits all. Everyone's getting the same stuff whether you want it or not. Um and so it can sound, you know, really overwhelming, but we suggest you start in your neighborhood and start to reimagine where you have an abundance and how you can uh, begin to share it. And I think you'll, you know, we'll all be surprised. I'm still surprised daily um, at what an abundance I do have still. And, you know, especially in the face of someone whose life belongings are on their back, um, you start to realize what an abundance you do have. That's awesome, man. So... I would say that the, probably the majority of the listeners uh, of this podcast are in Tallahassee and specifically Northeast Tallahassee. What do you wish that our community knew about the people who are living in it? Because yeah. there's some there's some serious uh, dividing lines in in our city. Yeah, I think that's a a really good question. I recommend we all meditate and contemplate those questions. So there's a lot of false narratives around poverty, and I've participated in those too most of my life. Um, So not just around poverty, but the individuals in it. 
So poverty and homelessness are not like, it's not a monolith, right? Like everyone has a unique story. Um, most of the individuals we've met are working. The last point in time study I read across the U.S. estimated that 40% of homeless people uh, had some form of work. Hmm. And all the people I've met either have multiple jobs or attempting to get jobs. We've helped people fill out applications. People want to work. Um, so there's a, you know, criminalizing and continuing to marginalize those already suffering is just going to perpetuate poverty. And I heard a, a really good quote the other day. I can't, I wish I remember who said it, but you know, we're called to bear someone's cross, not build their cross. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, something to think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I've heard, you know, grown men cry in between expressions of, you know, deep despair and suicide. And we also, we tend to only think of adults, you know, like if I'm just like, hey, think of a homeless person, you're going to think of an adult. Mm -hmm. But there's literally thousands of children growing up in poverty in Tallahassee. And all those adults were children, nine times out of 10, that grew up in trauma and poverty and so, you know, it's, as someone once said, when you have different options, you're going to make different choices. Um, and so I think it's really important to remember and never forget that all humans, all these people, they too were created in the image of God. They're all our neighbors. Um, I think it's Luke 10. Uh, Jesus is asked to define neighbor. And he uses the most culturally despised as the example that we are to become and shifts our focus on who is my neighbor to how can I be a good neighbor? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's because Jesus's worldview is that everyone is your neighbor. So I love what you said earlier about how you guys see food as not necessarily the goal. It's, it's the means to, to building a relationship with someone. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe the issues are bigger than them just being hungry. Maybe, maybe there's some things there that are, are kind of under the surface, so to speak. So let's say, uh, someone is listening and they wanted to start leveraging meals in a similar way, uh, to try to meet their neighbors, to try to build relationships wherever they at, they could, wherever they're at, they could be in Northeast Tallahassee, they could be you know in the same neighborhood as you, but they don't currently have any sort of idea how to begin. They've never done something like this before. How would you coach them to begin? Like what what would they start doing? So, from my experience, proximity is going to be incredibly important in serving others. Um, there's a quote. Uh, by Ethan Keller. I remember this one's name. (laughs) And it says, if you want to be somebody's ally, but you haven't been hit by the stones being thrown at them, you aren't standing close enough. Mm, Wow. And so we, um, we have 18 plus pantries. We have an interactive pantry map. There's a link on our website, littlesunshinepantries.com. And you can open up the map on your phone. You can find a pantry, you know, and decide to start filling it up at your convenience. Or as our partners have done, you can um, adopt a pantry, which is a commitment to fill it one time per week. Um, 
And, you know, if people have, like, non-food-stable, like, shelf-stable food that they're trying to dispose of, like, they just had a massive barbecue and they have all those leftovers, they can just call us or email us. We've gone and we'll pick it up. I know families that I can get it to that have kids and working mothers and all that kind of stuff. But I think, you know, we have to be proximate to these issues. And so the pantries are a way for you to go to that side of town you may have otherwise not wanted to go to. Um, And it gives you an opportunity to kind of be in poverty or at least in the geographic realm of poverty mm-hmm. and start participating by simply filling a pantry. Because nine times out of 10, you're going to fill it. Somebody's going to see you and they're going to come run you down and ask what's going on. Yeah. And then you can say, hey, what's your name? What are you up to? What do you need? That's awesome. So if somebody wanted to do that today, where would they go? How would they? How yeah, littlesunshinepantries.com. Um, we've got a couple different things on there. It's We're a young, new organization, so it's still under construction to some extent. Um, but on there, there's an Amazon wish list where if you just want to participate financially, you can get stuff delivered straight to our door, which will be redistributed through the pantries. Um, you can look at the pantry map, find a map or find a pantry that's near you or near an area you want to go participate in. Um, yeah, and that's where I would say is a really good starting point for for most people. And I know for me, too, if you just want to know more, um, the Facebook page you guys have is updated yeah, very very frequently. There's Facebook's always... updated. Instagram's going to be by far updated even more, and that's where our okay. larger following is. Um, so yeah, any of the social media stuff, we're there. Same thing. They could just search "Little Sunshine Pantries" and, mm-hmm. and find it. Okay, that's it. Awesome. I literally, I think I could ask you about a thousand more questions. Let's I'm, go, man. I'm looking at our our <laughs> clock though. Um, I do want to give you some lightning round questions. All right, let's just go. To have some fun. This is just for you to tell me the first thing that comes to your head, okay? All right, you ready? Here we go. Lightning round number one, kickflip or heel flip? Oh, kickflip. Okay. Street or vert? Street. Okay. Green Day or Blink-182? Uh, probably Blink. Yeah. Favorite drummer? Oh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've been all over the place over the years with that one. Nice. Uh, when are the snow goons getting back together? Oh, man, I don't know. i got to call the guys. Okay. I don't even know if last I, <laughs> the lead singer, Ian Copeland, I think he's, like, in another country right now. Gotcha. So <laughs> it might be a while. What's the one thing you do that drives Ashley nuts? <laughs> um, probably my attempt to clean the house. Nice. Best book you've ever read? Actually, sorry, let me rephrase. Best book you've read this year? Mm, I recently got uh, – it was gifted to us from – Dr. Terrence Lester, and it's called All God's Children. Oh, okay. Did he also write I See You? Mm-hmm. Okay, I've got that. He's I've read that. getting prolific. I think he's got like yeah. six or seven under his yeah. belt. Yeah, that's a great book. That's a great book. Man, this is all the time we've got for today. Nathan, this has been awesome. I really, really appreciate it. Um, like we said, if you want to find out more, head to littlesunshinepantries.com. Com. That's right. Not That's .org. Not .org, <laughs> .com. Uh, and I will link to some things in the show notes uh, that you mentioned during our time together. But again, Nathan, Nathan, thank you so much for joining us on the Living Scent Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Wow. There's a lot there. And I was personally challenged by Nathan and I's conversation 
and what he had to share, and I know you were as well. You know, that is all for this month, and as always, I like to sign off with this reminder, you don't have to live since, you get to. We'll see you next time.